We worship you. Jesus Christ. Mary's baby. The lily of the valley. The bright and morning star. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He is our wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. If there's any, any, any good word to be said about anybody, we can say it about Jesus today. I don't, I don't know about you, but Jesus has been good to me. If, if the Lord has been good to you at, at any moment this week, just give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his kindness, for his mercy, for allowing you to walk into his house one more time. You know how we say, one more time, we really mean one more again. One more again. A faithful, wonderful God. Uh, indeed, let's pray. Gracious and eternal, Father, we do worship you, Emmanuel. For, Father, when you saw us in our mess, when we were hopeless and helpless. Your word declares that you stepped in with love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for stepping in on our behalf, O oh God. Thank you for rescuing us Father, th thank you for showing yourself kind and merciful and great. And Father, on this day, we do praise you, glorify you, and exalt your most holy and righteous name. Father, we do gather together, and we just thank you for life, health, and strength. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for starting us on our way. Thank you for allowing us to make it to your house of worship one more time, oh God. Oh Lord, we thank you for your protection and your provision, how you kept us throughout this entire week, Lord. For it was you and you alone who placed your hedge of protection about us and kept us from danger seen and unseen. And Father, as we gather right now to hear from you, I do ask, O oh Lord, that you would remove all distractions. You would erase doubts. And that you would incline our hearts towards your testimonies. We ask, O oh God, that you would open our eyes to behold beautiful and wonderful and marvelous things within your word. Father, I ask that you would unite our hearts. That we may give you all the praise. Father, I ask that you would satisfy us and sanctify us through and by your holy word. Father, please take my weaknesses and my weak words and my weak mind and use them for your glory. Please hide me behind thy cross. 
May we be careful to give you all the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Indeed, as I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we welcome you to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. And this week, we do celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what the Christmas season is about, an opportunity to, to, to set our thoughts and our minds and affections upon Christ Jesus, who is the greatest gift of all. Amen? It's an understatement, really, to, to say that Jesus is the greatest gift of all. That, that's an understatement. There, there's no greater, greater gift that could be given unto men but Jesus Christ. So we're so grateful that the Lord has allowed us in 2019 to worship and honor him upon this Sunday morning as we prepare our hearts for uh, the Christmas celebration this week. And for the last few weeks, we, we've reflected on uh, just what we've received in this first advent of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we've uh, received the gift of hope, in Christ, we have received the gift of peace. In Christ, we have already received the gift of joy. And this week, I want us to turn our attention to the gift we have received in Jesus, this gift of love. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles, on your devices, to the first letter of First John. The letter of First John. First John, the fourth chapter. I just want to read for our hearing this morning, verses 7 through 11. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 11. If you are able to, please stand with us in honor, reading of God's word. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 11. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. The word of God reads, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just want to place a tag upon this morning's text before us. The greatest love of all. The greatest love of all. Now, each morning I have the uh, extraordinary privilege of, of taking my children to school. And uh, most of the time, this is because it's so early in the morning, there's whole, not a lot of uh, conversation as we go to school. They kind of sit there, and I may ask a few questions, but they, they have uh, zonked out. They have uh, awake. So, so most of the time, we just kind of listen to uh, some preaching in the morning. But, 
But whenever we get to their school, it, it's two phrases that I always say to them. I tell them two things. I says, you know, I say, I love you and God loves you. And I want y'all to know that. And I make sure I, uh, I, I usually quote Psalm 1 over their lives that, that the Lord would uh, put some godly influences in their lives. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I'm praying that, Lord, you keep him away from danger. But as I am telling them that God loves them, I believe it's important that everyone knows that God loves you. As we even say that phrase, that is such a source of encouragement that, that us, little old me, that God in heaven loves me. How many times have we said that to someone or, or, or heard those words on our, our very own ears? And every single time we hear that, we should get a little smile on our face to know that God loves me. But even as we hear those three little words, beloved, I, my, I, I truly believe that we do not understand the depth of that phrase. I don't think we really appreciate the depth of that truth. God loves you. You know, this whole Bible was God's love letter to us. From Genesis to Revelation, God is unfolding and revealing his love and just how much he cares about us. And in, in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul pens a remarkable prayer for this very reason. In Ephesians, the third chapter, in the four, beginning with the 14th verse, Paul, he, he's praying over these saints, and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's praying this over the saints, and he wants them to begin to understand just how much God loves you. I believe part of what he's communicating is, as God lavishes his love upon you, you, uh, you begin to have a greater understanding in the depths of that love and what was sacrificed and given that you may have that love. The desire here is for those who already love Christ have their love increase even more for that which is unpossessable to be possessed. That's what he's saying. I, I, I want you to really get what it means to be loved by God. And he gives you some uh, uh, dimensions that, that, that make up a container. He says, I, I want you to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. He, uh, what, what Paul is saying, he's actually trying to get us to fathom the unfathomable. He's trying to get us to, 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 to contain the uncontainable. 
He's trying to help us to comprehend the incomprehensible. When the love of God is so deep. And so uh, how we used to say his love is so high, you can't get over it. And his love is so wide, you can't get around it. And his love is so low, you can't get under it. He, he is trying to help us to understand just how much God loves you. Beloved, I truly wonder how different our lives would be, how different our lives would be if we really understood the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. God's love is perfect. His faithful love. His unconditional love, God's forgiving love, God's sacrificial love, God's enduring love, God's refreshing love, God's everlasting love, God's inspiring love, God's fulfilling love, his gracious love, his all-encompassing love, his great love. If we really understood the depths of God's love, beloved, would we be so unsatisfied? If we truly recognize the depth of God's love for us, would we be so insecure? Would you be so sad or desperate if you really understood God's love? Would you just be stuck if you really understood God's love? Christians should never feel empty if they've experienced the love of Jesus. And here in this first letter, to the apostle whom Jesus loved, John, we receive a window into this extraordinary love of God. See, in the, in the first advent of Christ, we look squarely into the face of love. For in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, Colossians 1 and 19. Beloved, when our understanding of God's love is deepened, our satisfaction in God's love is heightened. When we go deeper, we can go higher. I'm arguing this morning simply because God is love, to know Jesus is to know the love of God. Let's walk through this text this morning and just touch on a few things. The first point I really want to flush out is to know Jesus is to experience the eternal love of God. Verses 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love uh, does not know God because God is love. Can I teach for a second? In theology, the study of God, there's what are called the uh, incommunicable attributes of God and the communicable attributes of God. His Incommunicable attributes mean those attributes of who God are, who God is, that are not passed to us. So an incommunicable attribute is God's omnipotence. We ain't all powerful, but God is. Uh, his omniscience. Uh, we're not all knowing, but God is. 
omnipresence. God is everywhere at the same time, and we are not. Those are some of his attributes that we don't receive from him as his creation. But there are some communicable attributes, things that God uh, are fundamentally who God is that can be uh, applied to his creations. Like wisdom, we can have knowledge, we can have a portion of holiness, not holiness as in set apart like God, but holiness in the sense that when Jesus saves us, he sets us apart for himself. The desire for justice and, and righteousness, those are the attributes of God that, we, that can be applied to our very own lives. But within these, these incommunicable and communicable attributes of God, one thing that we can have and, and we, we realize about God is God's goodness. Y'all know God is good, and all the time, God is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God is, beloved, if you don't understand anything this morning, you need to understand God is good. But it's from this goodness which flows a a narrower understanding of him through God's love. Love is manifested from God's goodness. And even within God's love, we see his love play out in many different ways. We see that God's love plays out in his benevolence towards us. You know, benevolence, God's concern for the welfare of those uh, uh, whom he loves. God cares about us, so he takes care of us. He makes sure when you open up the refrigerator, there's at least a carton of orange juice and an egg in there, something. He's making sure he's supplying your needs. His benevolence is uh, another aspect of God's love is his grace. God deals with people not not on the, the basis of their own merit or worthiness, what they deserve, but simply according to what they need. And while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Another aspect of God's love is his mercy. God's tenderhearted, uh, loving compassion for his people. God has compassion on us when he doesn't let us fall and fail every time we disobey. He's being merciful. But you know, another aspect of, of God's love that we really don't pay attention to sometimes is God's persistence. God withholding judgment and continuing to offer salvation and grace over long periods of time. Beloved, I don't know how long it took for God to get you, but ain't you glad that he waited to get you? That's love. That he was willing to put up with your foolishness for that, for that amount of time. That's love. That's love when he knew where you were yesterday. He know where you're going tonight, but he still wants to love on you. That's love. That in spite of yourself type love. That, that, yeah, I've been acting a fool, but he still loves me. It's incredible. But what the text tells us, this type of love is not from the world. Because he says love is from who? God. Love is from God. God is the source of all love. Beloved, this this sets up the distinction and, and the contrast between secular love and sacred love. 
Secular love says, I, if you love me, then I'll love you. Secular love says, well, if you love me, you'll do X, Y, and Z. See, secular love says, if you make me feel good on the inside, if, if when I call your name, I get butterflies in my belly, then I'll love you. See, that's secular love. See, secular love is a love that fades away because, beloved, you know and I know the person you met a couple years ago may not be the same person now, and you got to choose to set your affections on that person. You ain't always going to feel like you in love. See, that's secular love and emotion. The world's love really is lust. Because lust says, what can I get from you to please me? That's secular love. But, but sacred love is a sacrificial love. Sacred love is a love that does not start with man, but finds its beginning, its source in God himself in heaven. One author describes God's love as his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being. That leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. God is the source of sacred love. He goes on further and he says, not only is love from God, but love Love is, is found in the midst of him because God is love. God is the center of love. Notice that the scripture doesn't say love is God. It says, no, God is love. Love is fundamental to God's nature. From, from, and we see this because from, from all eternity, God the God of the Bible, who has revealed himself to us, uh, he has always known a sweet society of three divine persons who, who, are, who freely give themselves to one another in uncoursed love. God the Father loving God the Son. God the Son loving God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, loving God the Father. From eternity past, our triune God has been in a community with himself, loving one another, giving one another, and serving to one another. What that means is that if God is the source and, and the center of all love, God doesn't need you or me to demonstrate his love. But God, being rich in mercy, what he chose to do is this loving community that is full of love, uh, that is incredible, he chose to be so gracious and to share that love with us, his creation. For all eternity past, God has been in this loving community. In John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, how we say Jesus was looking out for us, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. When your life is united with Christ Jesus, you receive the extraordinary privilege to experience the eternal love of God. 
When you trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you now have access to this eternal loving community that God has been loving on himself. He now chooses to love on you. To know Jesus is to experience God's eternal love. But secondly, to know Jesus is to experience the expressed love of God. Look here in verses 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love is an action word. Don't tell me you love me, then treat me like crap. Don't tell me you love me, but never do anything for me. Don't tell me you love me, but then cuss me out in the same breath. Love is an action word. If your child, if your niece, nephew, your, 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 your grandbaby was in danger, and you've been telling them, I love you, I love you, I love you, but they walk out in, into the street, and they're about to get hit by a car, would you just let them get hit by a car? That would be so unloving. But your love for them should cause you to take action to help and to rescue them. This is what God does for us. And our, our love for one another compels us to act. And beloved, in our sin, God deals with us not by immediately pouring out his wrath, but immediately pouring out his love. The love of God compels him to act. Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Beloved, when we see the incarnated Christ, we see the full expression of God's love. In the incarnation, the greatest expression of God's love is made manifest in the person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the revelation of God's divine love. He, not only is he the word that was made flesh, Jesus is love that was made flesh. In Christ Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. That means every single incommunicable attribute and communicable attribute that God had is in Christ staring us in our face through the scriptures. He has come. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus. In his ministry, Jesus consistently reflected God's expressed love. In Luke 4 and 18, this is where uh, Jesus, he, he walks up into the synagogue and they, he just picks out the scroll and he just opens up the scroll that the Spirit of the Lord is on, on me right now. I'm here to, to heal the sick and minister to the poor. And, and, and he basically said the day of Jubilee has come because I come. And then the text says in verse 20, he closed the scroll and he drops the mic. And he says, that talking about me. I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. As Jesus was ministering, he, he gave sight to the blind. That's love. He, he made the lame able to walk. That's love. 
Jesus, he, he got down with the woman accused of adultery and said, Beloved, go and sin no more. That's love when you're not afraid to be associated with those who are the outcasts of society. That's love. When a demon-possessed man came to him and, and Jesus cast out the demon, that's love. Jesus is not only preaching the gospel, he's living the gospel. The gospel ain't just some words. The gospel is God's very manifestation of love. The gospel is love. The good news that God sent his son to die for sinners just like you and me. To bind up the brokenhearted. To heal the wounded. Jesus came and preached the good news the gospel is the express love of God. And not only did Jesus minister day after day after day, showing forth this love, but he committed the greatest act of love. And it says, because he became the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, this, this big word simply meaning to appease the wrath of God. Beloved, the way it works out, theology again, because Jesus came and he lived the sinless life that we could not live, he became the, the sinless sacrifice. And when Jesus goes to Calvary's cross, that, that, that is the, the atoning work of Christ. So he, instead of you going to Calvary's cross paying for your sin, Jesus goes to the cross. Our sins are put, uh, for those who repent and trust in Jesus, our sin is placed upon him. And, and when he's crucified, he becomes that sacrifice, taking away our sins. When, when our sins are taken away, that's called expiation. That means I, I'm taking away your sin. Your sin is going to be no more as far as the, what the text says, the east is from the west. I'm casting your sin away from you. He has expiated our sin and removing it through his blood. But then, uh, because he has expiated our sin, he is a propitiation for our sin. Because by our sin being removed, we, he has satisfied the righteous wrath of God that was coming for us. Beloved, because we are guilty, we deserve justice. We always worried about what we deserve. Well, I just want what I deserve. So some of y'all family, friends, and loved ones, maybe you, you're going to be mad on Tuesday, right? When on Wednesday, you're going to be mad Wednesday because you ain't going to get the gift that you think you deserve from the person that you think supposed to gave you a gift. But beloved, I'm here just to remind you, we don't deserve nothing but death because of our sin, because of our, our wickedness, because of our depravity. We deserve to be taken out by God right now. But the wrath of God is coming for those who have sinned against him. But Jesus steps in, and he's the propitiation. He, he appeases and satisfies the wrath of God by offering his life as a sacrifice. That's love. What greater love is this than one lay down his life for a friend? There's no greater love. The cross of Calvary is our great testimony of God's love for us. Calvary's cross, the place where steadfast love and faithfulness meet. The place where righteousness and peace kiss. Beloved, if you ever feeling down on your luck and, and you feel like, don't nobody love me, nobody knows, and, and you, just, you just look up at the cross. The 
the cross should be a reminder that if don't nobody else love you, Jesus loves you. You just look at the cross, say, my, 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 my worst situation was taken care of on the cross because Jesus has loved me so. When we look at the cross, we should walk away to be loved, to be loved. Oh, what a feeling because Jesus has loved us. By laying down this life. Don't think, here's the key. Don't think God loves us because Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins because God loves us. You get that? Before you was able to even be lovable. Before, before you got cleaned up and put on your church clothes. God wanted to lavish his love upon you. You. To know Jesus is to experience the eternal love of God, the express love of God. But then lastly, to know Jesus is to experience the infectious love of God. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. To know God's love is to be filled with his very fullness. See, at, at creation, God's talking with himself in community, and he says, let us make man in our image. He's not saying we're going to make man look like us because God is spirit. So he's not saying I'm going to give him arms and a face and make him look like me. What he's saying, I'm going to give man certain attributes that's going to reflect my glory throughout all of creation. Let us make man in our image. And one of, and one of those characteristics is love. So he's not speaking about human features, but the ability to reflect the very character and nature of God. We, if, if anything, to be an image bearer, to bear the image of God, we should just be walking, talking disco balls. That's it. You, Jesus shining his light on us, and we just begin to shine brilliantly. See, I, I don't know when the last time you've seen a disco ball, but I, I'm sure you've seen one on TV. And when they, and when they shine the light at the disco ball, it begins, it, while it's spinning, all, the, the light begins to reflect in all different and beautiful and marvelous ways. And it's amazing. When, when God lavishes his love upon us, we should reflect his love in the world that when people see us, they say, oh, that's amazing how they love one another. That's amazing how they care for one another. That's amazing how they talk to one another. That's amazing how they look out for one another. Because God's love has been bestowed upon us, we bestow that same love on others. Because God has poured out his love unto his children, his children therefore reflect his love toward one another. I grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a weird house in the sense 
that my sister and I, like, we didn't, like, it was weird. She's five years older than me, but we, like, we didn't fight. We didn't, we didn't argue. We, like, we never had a fit. Like, we were so cool, right? So when I became a parent, I'm thinking, oh, everybody going to get along. Mm-mm. And I found out siblings actually fight one another. And they, and they mean to one another. And, they, and like, they, they do petty stuff to one another. I'm like, oh, that's real. I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about I've seen it. But, but, but beloved, because God has given us his love, he's saying to his kids, y'all stop being petty to one another. Y'all stop being mean to one another. Y'all stop talking about one another. Y'all stop fighting one another. Y'all, y'all stop being selfish with one another. Now that's my chair. That's my chair. That's my chair. That's my chair. Why don't you let the guests sit in the chair? That ain't your chair. But he, sa- he said, love one another. Because we got a good father. We have a good, good father. And because we have a good father, we could be good kids. Because we are his children. These are, this, this text is, is digging into this. This is theological genetics. Because our father was loving. Therefore, we should be loving. We should reflect the very characteristics of our father. The, the, we should look like our daddy. You know how you'd be wa- watching Mari Povich, you're like, but he got the same ears. They got the same ears. That's his daddy. But in a sense, we should look like our daddy. There should be no question who our father is. It's God in heaven. The love we share with one another will reflect God's family values. We see this in John, right? The 13th chapter. We heard it rare earlier. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What? If you love one another. In a sense, when he's finishing up this verse in verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In a sense, what he's saying is, though people haven't seen God, they should be able to see God in your love for one another. Because we care about one another, because we humble ourselves to one If Look, if, if, if we're going to humble ourselves to one another, we can't have all this bitterness. We can't have these feuds. We can't have these grudges. We are going to have to let some stuff go and let God take over. And just because they didn't speak to you on your way in, because they said they didn't like your shoes, you knew those shoes wasn't nice when you bought them. They were just expensive. Just, just because something has happened to you does not give you a right to hold that grudge and to not love one another. This is a command. This is daddy saying, before I get home, before I come back home, the house better be in order. Your room needs to be clean. The dishes need to be clean. The the floor needs to be swept. What God is saying, he's commanding, get your house in order before I come back. And part of that is loving one another. 
love one another. And when we do, we reflect God. So, so what does it look like to really love one another? What does it look like? All right. I thought really hard about this. And I said, okay, I need a list of what it looks like to love one another. And so I began to think, and like, okay, what, what could be some practical applications? And, and you know what I did? I said, you know what? How about I just use the Bible? In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, beginning with the fourth verse, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's my way or the highway. It is not irritable or resentful. Well, you know, that's just how he is. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Beloved, why is love the greatest of those three? Because love is the only one of the three that's going to be eternal. See, when we see Jesus face to face, we won't need faith no more. Because that which we hope for will be right there in our face. That which was veiled will be unveiled. Why would we need hope? The hope is going to be a reality. We're going to sit at the Father's table. And we're going to dine. And we're going to see the... The elders surrounding his throne shouting, holy, holy, holy. And we're going to be able to spend an eternity not hoping for a day off, not hoping to get some rest, because we will have entered into the Sabbath rest of Jesus Christ. We don't need no more hope. But the only thing that's going to be everlasting to everlasting, it's the love that God the Father is going to be lavishing out upon us for all eternity. God is going to be revealing himself. He's going to show us what love really looks like. After a thousand years, he's going to turn one more shade and say, look at that love. And after a thousand more years, he's going to turn around and say, look at that love. And a thousand more years, he's going to say, I look at this love. And on and on and on, we're going to be experiencing the eternal love of God. That's why love is the greatest. So what does this mean? Because God's love is eternal, we don't have to worry about him loving us one day and leaving us the next. In the incarnation, Jesus has made known to us an everlasting love. Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Philippians 1 and 6, he says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to leave you because his love is eternal. He's not like an earthly father who walks out on you. He 
You don't have to prove yourself to God to get his love. His love is eternal. But because God's love is expressed, we don't have to worry about him accepting us based upon our performance. He's already done it. In the incarnation, Jesus has satisfied the righteous wrath of God for our sake. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because God's love is infectious, we remain confident in the growing community of the beloved. See, in the incarnation, Jesus has set apart a people for God's glory. 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Jesus, we have God's eternal love, God's expressed love, and God's infectious love. In the incarnation, we see the greatest manifestation of love. In the incarnation, we see the greatest demonstration of love. In the incarnation, we see the greatest exaltation of love. And in the incarnation, we see the greatest celebration of love. In the incarnation, we have the greatest love of all. But sin has separated us from the love of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that means that even though God has loved us, we have not reciprocated that love. We have chosen to live for ourselves and for our own pleasure. We will not experience his love on earth and definitely not in eternal life. But the way we receive this gift of love is to repent of our sin and to trust in Jesus Christ today. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the love of God. We read it earlier. I just want to leave us with this. God's love for us defeats all oncomers. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's love. That's love. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised. He got up. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because God is love, to know Jesus is to know the love of God. Jesus Christ is truly the greatest love of all. Let us pray. Father, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen.